Hello and welcome back to the top 10 things you can do to prevent child sexual abuse. My name is Megan and today we are talking about tip number three, being able to recognize the grooming process. This is a very important tip for parents because I think that this is exactly how sexual offenses are allowed to happen is through grooming. So much of what sexual abuse is is about the secrecy around it. And the only way you'll be able to get a child or an adolescent to keep a secret about being sexually abused is if there is some sort of grooming involved. So it is really the main goal of the offender, since they are completely committed to finding children, that they will be able to silence. If they thought a child would tell right away, they would avoid that child. So ultimately, that's my goal, is to help parents have kids that no offender would want to sexually abuse because they know that your child would be able to come to you and tell you about it. So hopefully going through these different podcasts will make you more comfortable and more approachable. So if this ever did happen to your child or somebody your child knows, they would know what to do. That's the main goal is getting kids to tell, Um, but we are really fighting against sex offenders because they are grooming kids to get them not to tell. So as I explained, I do this presentation, uh, have done it for years for parents, and so this comes with a PowerPoint, and, and what you don't get to see is some of my graphics. Right now I'm looking at an adorable graphic of a frog bathing in a pot of hot water. And so that's the analogy that I use for grooming. I'm sure people have heard that if you take a frog and you drop it in a pot of boiling water, it will jump out right away, recognizing the danger. However, if you put a frog in a pot of cold water and then set it to boil, what will happen is they won't notice the change in their environment until it is too late. And that is precisely what grooming is. It is a very slow and subtle, sneaky process of grooming a child and very often their parents and communities in order to get that child to not notice the changes, not be fully aware of what's happening, to second guess and question, oh gosh, was I imagining that? Was he really doing that? Until they're in it so deep that they feel responsible and they feel like they cannot possibly tell because they are a part of it. So that is really the goal of grooming. So, um, you know, most parents, like I said, in tip number two, is they might pay attention to the, the sex offender registry or talk to their kids about stranger danger and these grab-and-go situations. But children rarely fear their offenders prior to the abuse. For the offenders, this is not simply about sexual gratification. It's about power, control, manipulation, and grooming not only the child and their family. They want to be perceived as this nice guy, and they want to make the child feel really good. So as I have shared, I have been taught by my clients. I feel like I owe all of this information to them because they've really given me a lot of expertise over the years. And one of the best ways that I think 
to, to teach this information is through storytelling because stories stick and people tend to remember stories. So I will share a couple of them in this tip. Um, one of them, I'll just call this little guy Billy, but he was a uh, about six years old when his favorite uncle, well, he wasn't his favorite uncle yet, but his uncle moved back to the area um, and the child really was able to get to know him pretty quickly and he soon became his very favorite uncle. Now, prior to this point, little Billy had been uh, living with a single mom, a uh, pretty vulnerable kid. He had two younger siblings that uh, mom was just very stressed. She had to work a lot and uh, she was just doing the best that she could to hold on and pay the bills and um, just do what she could to take care of these three little kids. Um, so Billy was pretty neglected, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the younger two, uh, he would often be home and just hearing screaming sisters and mom stressed about the kids in diapers and doing the best she could. But Billy didn't get a whole lot of attention. And that really showed itself in his schoolwork, his social environment, um, his social situations. Teachers were concerned about him and talking to mom about it. And, uh, just really, it came down to him not having a whole lot of supports. And so when his uncle moved into town, it was really just an ideal situation. This older mentor that could keep an eye on him and really develop a relationship. And really within the year, his schoolwork had improved dramatically. He was uh, playing soccer making friends. Um, and the older he got, the more he was able to adapt socially. He, his uncle was very cool, had all the video games and stuff. And so he was able to have that kind of social capital with his friends talking about gaming and, and just getting involved and being taken care of and, you know, just having somebody to read you books and pay attention to you. And, and so really Billy could see how his life was dramatically improved when his uncle came to the area and was taking care of him. And his mom was so grateful, always talking about, oh gosh, what would I have done if he didn't move back? And grandparents were, oh gosh, Billy, you're so lucky that your uncle's around to take care of you and get you signed up for baseball and all that stuff. So all of this was in place and uh, it was right there when, when his uncle started sexually abusing him after a couple of years of being back in the area. And so the graphic that I have for this looks like a pie chart and it is about 90% filled um, demonstrating in this blue color about how everything good was coming into Billy's life from his uncle. It was just awesome. And then started in this little slice, the other 10% of yellow, this sexual abuse began. It began with uh, confusing games. He always liked to wrestle his uncle. Then his uncle wanted to wrestle without his clothes on. Confusing things happening in the shower. Uh, Billy had a lot of shame um, because he was getting an erection when he was being touched. And so that really freaked him out. And so 
Anyway, it was just a lot of good times with his uncle, except for when the bad times were happening. And even the bad times, it was just very confusing because he loved his uncle so much and he couldn't understand why this was happening. Now, over time, uh, the uncle was really able to groom and manipulate Billy into understanding that if he was to tell, he would never see him again. And that was really scary, since this was probably the single most important person in Billy's life. Um, He was just very, very fearful. And so this graphic of this pie chart really is set out to demonstrate how all of this good is in place in that slice of sexual abuse, the bad, is something that Billy feels like, I just have to put up with this so I can have everything else. And it's so confusing and so overwhelming. And of course, if Billy had one wish, it would be that his uncle would stop doing this weird stuff to him. It's not that he wants the abuse. It's not that he's seeking it out. And and even sometimes it seems like kids are, you know, I mean, I think that there were times that Billy had an opportunity to spend the night over at his uncle's house. And when he goes there, he can stay up all night watching movies, eating pizza, drinking soda. And moms, he's got a stressed out screaming mom and two little sisters that are very loud and crying all the time. And, and so, yeah, he chooses to go to the uncle's house and he just puts up with the sexual abuse so that he can have everything else. And that is really how he's made to be part of it. And uh, we'll be kind of referring back to Billy when we're talking about things like why kids have a really hard time telling. But I think a lot of that is is obvious and already in place, even though we'll go into that more here in tip number four. But um, so that is really a pretty extreme example, of course, but I think it's important for people to understand grooming because very often kids are blamed for not telling. And parents assume that, well, of course, if my child was sexually abused, they would come and tell me. Yeah, if your child was sexually abused by a stranger, they would probably come and tell you immediately, but that's rarely how it happens. And so kids become part of it and they, they commit to this secret and and have a very hard time um, coming forward when when um, the abuse is, is going on. So really what Billy's uncle did is he followed the typical steps of the grooming process. I mean, he finds a kid that's vulnerable and is most likely going to keep a secret. He doesn't need to do much to earn his trust and to earn his sister's trust and to have opportunities to to be with Billy. Um, He identifies his needs and sees exactly what Billy needs to be happy and to, to be invested in that secret. And then he isolates the child. He isolates him and he finds ways to be alone with him, which was not very hard to do. Then he introduces sex into the relationship to desensitize the child. So sometimes this comes with touching that's very confusing um, because maybe sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it's just exploiting a kid's natural curiosity. You know, I mean, kids want information about sex and Billy and his friends would probably be talking about funny things like this on the playground and what they've heard. And here's an adult in his life that is willing to give him information. And so this is how very often offenders manipulate children by just exploiting that natural curiosity and maybe using pornography and that kind of thing. 
Um, and then he came, uh, probably used play and deception and other forms of coercion. Um, he really didn't need to use threats, even though there was always that threat of, you'll never see me again, I'll go to prison. And of course, Billy didn't want his favorite person in the world to go to prison. Um, so they used that also to engage the children um, and get them to maintain their silence. So... So I like to reference when I'm speaking on, on the grooming process, uh, Anna Salter. She is an amazing woman that has just done an immense amount of work with offenders. And I'll share a quote by her. There's a myth in our culture that you can tell when a person is lying, that someone lying will not look you in the eye and they will act nervous. Sex offenders make it their business to act on this myth to look you right in the eye, to make sure that they appear relaxed and confident. They do kind and generous things for others in order to not be detected and that people will not want to believe a child. And so a lot of her work um, actually is in YouTube videos. Um, if you want to make reference to Anna Salter and, and watch any videos with these offenders, you'll see offenders being interviewed and saying such things as, oh, I acted like I was just a big kid. Everyone liked me and people were comfortable with my interaction with their kids. I treated them, kids, like they were adults. Um, I complimented them and I bought them things. I stuck up for them. I never, ever disciplined them. I paid lots of attention to them and gave them lots of affection. Um, and, and things like kids liked me and adults thought I was great with kids. I mean, these are typical quotes from sex offenders. And this is really where you can start understanding how they have this almost sociopathic tendency to want to just be loved and adored and to trick and manipulate people. That is really where their power is in knowing that they can silence a child and to be able to, to trick them. So, um, a lot of, of understanding sex offenders, I think, can also be understood in another story that I'll tell. Um, all of these stories, I've been uh, given permission by the victims to, to speak of them, as long as I'm not giving any kind of identifying information. But they're just so useful in being able to better understand uh, the behavior. So um, I like to tell a story of of a little girl that she was about four or five years old and she was at a big family barbecue. She's telling the stories of 15 year old. It took her about nine, 10 years to be able to disclose. So she's not exactly sure how old she was at the time, but she clearly remembers being at this barbecue and, and it being a really hot day. And so she went inside to go sit and watch a movie. And uh, she was just sitting inside on the couch in the cool watching television when one of her dad's friends came and sat on the couch next to her. And uh, was just a really friendly guy talking with her. But then what she remembers happening next is that he started to rub her vagina. Now, she doesn't know how long that was happening for. It could have been five seconds. It could have been five minutes. As I explained, this was many years ago. And a five-year-old sense of time is, is not really accurate anyway, if she'd even disclosed immediately, but especially years later. I 
don't know that it really matters. I mean, I think if you think about it and imagine having your genitals touched by somebody when you didn't want them to touch them for five seconds, that's a long time and would be very uncomfortable for anyone. So maybe it was that, maybe it was longer, but, um, you know, I just, I, I want to just mention because I think so often what I hear from parents is, well, she's never alone with him or she's never alone with anyone. And it can just happen so quickly. It can just be a matter of seconds and still be extremely upsetting. So however long it was, she was sitting there on the couch and her response was very typical of most kids. And that was freezing. Zero to a hundred. If a hundred is your highest level of stress, she was at a hundred. She was so completely overwhelmed, confused, and stressed out. She had the same body sensations that any one of us would see if we were out on a hike and there was a grizzly bear. I mean, that fight, flight, or freeze response kicked in. And as with almost all victims of sexual abuse that I've worked with, she froze. She did an excellent description of the freeze response. She remembered so clearly how she felt. She referenced, you know, how you feel sometimes in a dream when you're trying to move and you just can't. It was like that, right? Her legs were like jello. Her heart was racing. The scream was stuck in her throat. She was so overwhelmed and confused. She just could not move. And he continued to touch her and she was terrified. And then he stopped and he got up and he left the room and she sat there for a few minutes trying to catch her breath and trying to be able to uh, finally, she was able to get up and run outside and go and tell her parents that she wanted to go. She didn't want to make a big deal, but she just wanted to leave. And so she was out there pulling on her mom's dress, bothering her dad. Come on, come on, come on. I want to go. I want to go home. I want to go home. And the parents are having a good time at the party. Come on, go back in and watch more TV. What happened? Did the movie stop? No, I want to go. She's getting very upset and they're stalling, hoping that she'll change her mind, but it becomes clear that she is going to be very persistent and she wants to leave this party. So what happened next is really what was just such a clear experience of helping me understand grooming the way that this girl told it because she could remember it so clearly many years later. And uh, so as they're getting ready to leave, it's like he's been watching the whole time. This offender, he saw the little girl run outside and he just, he's had an eye on the whole situation. And he sees her going to mom and dad and then he's watching and he sees mom and dad getting ready to go. And then he makes his entrance and is like, hey, dude, you're leaving already? I didn't even have a chance to talk to you. God, you know, it's been, you haven't been playing softball. We need your arm. We're losing games. When's that shoulder going to get healed? Man, we need you back. And you, it's so good, he says to her mother. It is so good to see you. And I've been telling my wife that we need to have you over for dinner because I will never forget that lasagna you made. And we just, I want you to come over. I want you to give my wife the recipe, but it just would be so great to get together with you guys. It's so awesome. It's never enough time. You sure you're leaving already? Oh my gosh. Really so soon? Oh, and she is just getting so big and he pats her on the head and he gives her a big tight squeeze. 
and then sends them on their way. It's great to see you guys. So it's so good to see you. And I can't believe how big she is. And just please come on over soon. I'll talk to my wife about it. And then they go and get in the car. And mom turns to dad and says, gosh, he is such a great guy. We'll have to have him over soon. Why did you want to leave the party, honey? Gosh, that was such a good time. Why'd you have to make us go? Right? Now, is that child in a position to be able to tell her mom and dad what happened? Well, I'll tell you one of the main reasons I don't think that she was able to, and this is a reference back to tip number one. She had absolutely no frame of reference. Nothing at all for what had just happened. It was so overwhelming and so confusing that she just didn't even have the words. She didn't even know what to call her vagina, let alone how to say what happened to it. And I remember her telling me, if just once my mom had told me that people do that to kids, I might have been able to tell her. So remember, back to tip number one, if that mom had at some point just said to her, you know what, honey, I want you to know that sometimes people we know, maybe even people it seems like we really like, might want to do something that's a little bit strange, and that is they want to look at or touch your vagina. And if anybody ever wants to do that, and they want to touch you or make you touch their private parts, honey, I want you to know that they are breaking a rule. And they should not be doing that. And I want you to be able to come and tell me about it, okay? And if she had just heard that once, and along with the other two tips that are coming up soon, the next one in tip number four is that secrets are not safe. And tip number five is that you're the boss of your body. If she had just had those three pieces of information I really believe she would have been in a better position to be able to tell her mom and dad what had happened. But she had no words for it. She was overcome. She was ashamed. She felt that she had done something wrong making her parents leave the party. And she just did not know what to do. So that story I just really appreciate because it just demonstrates this this grooming process not only did he groom the child in a way of of that intimidating, tight squeeze of a hug, but really being such a great guy, but he groomed the parents and he groomed everyone at that party because the goal will be if she does, God forbid, tell, and if the parents respond and actually report it, He wants to make sure that nobody that attended that party is going to believe them and they'll be ostracized. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen. So that really is is the grooming process. And I think that um, it's just, it's a really great example of, of how these offenders are really able to manipulate a child and to get them to stay silent. That is ultimately their goal. So um, that really is tip number three of grooming. And so I thank you very much for tuning in today and listening. Um, And I will be probably referencing these stories again when we come to tip number four, 
which is about keeping the silence and uh, getting children to keep the secret. That ultimately is the goal. And so tip number four is really why kids don't tell. So thank you so much again for tuning in today to tip number three. This has been the top things that you can do to prevent child sexual abuse. And hopefully you will be tuning in for tip number four.